WUOG 90.5 FM presents Out There, a weekly journey into the world of the occult, conspiracy theory, the paranormal, and other bizarre undercurrents of the human psyche. The views expressed on this program do not reflect those of WUOG 90.5 FM, the University of Georgia, or the Board of Regents. It's Out There with your hosts, Raymond and Joe. Live from our secret lair in the studios of WOG WOG 90.5 FM, this is Out There. My name's Joe McFall. And I'm Raymond Wiley. <laughs> and Joe, and this may be Joe's last week on the show if he Come keeps on, using man. that cliche, we don't have a lair. Okay, okay, Raymond, hold up for a second. Okay, no, no, okay, this is a like, <laughs> green foam lair with glass yeah. and half-working electrical equipment. I yeah, mean, yeah. That's not a lair. Dude, that <laughs> this is a lair, man. Man, look, it's a secret lair no, on the fifth floor of of Memorial oh, Hall man. on George University of Georgia, Georgia campus. No supervillain, <laughs> no supervillain would ever come look, up here. Raymond, look. Ne- never. Raymond, okay. Okay, what about what about this? Oh, okay, okay. Doing something in the room doesn't work <laughs> if we're on a radio show. I just so. put on sunglasses, man. Well, that doesn't make you any eviler. <sighs> okay. Oh okay. my God. Welcome well, to Out There. Yeah, right. <laughs> WOG's weekly show about the occult, conspiracy theories, and the paranormal. And, you know, like we said, I'm Raymond Wiley. <laughs> this is, Joe, this is Joe. Yeah. At least he didn't roll out the canned and applause this week. Well, you, no. you deleted it. Yeah, I didn't mean to delete it. Yeah, right. But I, it's not I, on the Digicart anymore. I think you deleted it on purpose because, see, you know, a couple weeks ago, if you were listening, I played applause for our own Raymond Wiley after he read an essay that he wrote about the ATF on campus. Great essay. And it deserved applause man well thank you joe or you know but it deserved like no no I, i'm not even going to go so far as to say that but it didn't deserve canned applause this is not an episode of well cheers had a live studio audience actually anyway let's move on we got announcements <laughs> we got too much to talk about God. To talking about it or you deleting the sound effects that i cherish the most <sighs> that you cherish give me a break anyway okay if, if you want to know other things that we cherish you can check out our website www.wuog.org Slash out there, capitalize the O and the T and out there. You can go out there and check out uh, previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast. You can visit our forums and talk to other like-minded people about topics that interest you if this show actually does interest you. Anyway, um, there's plenty to do on the website and links to other great shows on the Omnisound Radio 1 network, which is our uh, internet affiliate network. Hello to all the Omnisound listeners. Right, and hello to everyone in Robin Valley if you're out there tonight. And hello to everyone here in beautiful Athens, Georgia. It is a beautiful evening here, and we are happy to do a show for you tonight. We've got uh, interesting topics. We've got uh, tongue sensors and tarot cards. The Smith Code. And the Smith Code. So... You know, another week of sort of hodgepodge of topics. Yeah, you know. but definitely f- uh, more fun stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And maybe a surprise at the end. Possibly. But no promises. No guarantees no on pro- that. Okay. So anyway, uh, like we said, we have a podcast. You can subscribe to it on our website, or you can go to the WOG podcasts, or the, the WOG uh, website, and visit their podcast section and check out some of the other podcasts that are coming off of this 
wonderful college radio station. You can chat with us uh, on AOL Instant Messenger at Out There Radio or in the Omnisound Radio One.net chat rooms. We'll be getting those warmed up during the break. So uh, go ahead and check those out and log on, and we'll be out there pretty soon. Or just give us a call, 1-800-960-2289. Right. That's, uh, you can call from anywhere. It's toll-free. Mm-hmm. If you're here in Athens and you want to get a direct line in, 706-542-8476. We'll know that you're local if you call on that number. Um, you can also send us an email, uh, outthereradio at gmail.com, if you have uh, feedback about the show or you want to make suggestions for upcoming topics. You wouldn't believe how many... Uh, the suggestions that have come to us from different people have oh, yeah. come from, uh, or it, how many of the topics that we've done have come from suggestions people have made. Yeah, and There's, we have a whole bunch of stuff that we have wanted to do. We have lists of topics that we want to do, and sometimes Raymond loses the notebook. And I lose the notebook. You are the, the one that lost the playbook. My okay, friend. the notebook gets lost, and <laughs> then we forget what we want to do, what kind of topics. So, right. But so until you, you know, badger us about doing a Tesla show, like I got four emails about doing a Tesla show. That's why we did a Tesla yeah, show last week. But we week. had actually, at the beginning, said, oh, we should do a Tesla show at some point. Right, you know? right. And, and then, you guys just completely sparked our yeah, memory and yeah. told us what you wanted. So uh, this week's kind of similar. People have been asking for, like, more occult occulty kind of stuff so we figured we'd pick something that we could kind of sit here and talk about a little bit without having to bring in a big expert or anything so and tarot is something that i know that i've been doing for a long time raymond actually inter- raymond reads tarot cards yes he's yes. done many a reading for me in fact well yeah i i i almost blush to admit it on the air but yes yeah, so uh, madam cleo uh has not <laughs> cornered the market we we're, we're right here on out there madam this raymond <laughs> please okay sorry all right anyway um what else do we have upcoming shows i guess is our last announcement uh we've got some great interviews coming up nicholas goodrich clark's going to talk about the western esoteric tradition as well as the occult roots of nazism two two subjects which he is a uh, academic scholarly expert on Mm -hmm. uh joe what else we got coming up we've been talking we're trying to schedule uh daniel pinchbeck who wrote um he has a new book about 2012 coming out he wrote a book called breaking open the head about his psychedelic journey journeys in africa and the amazon and elsewhere and so that's going to be a real interesting interview he's i think that book actually comes out this week on the third so I'm going to go pick it up and read it real quick, and then <laughs> we can actually interview him. So right. that's going to be fun. That is going to be fun. And yeah. uh, we haven't got to 2012 yet on the show either. And that's we've been, Yeah, that's something we've been wanting to do for a long time as well. People yeah. have asked us a lot about. Yeah. So, you know, one subject that I've been kind of interested in us maybe doing in the future is something maybe on the Montauk Project or the Philadelphia yeah. Experiment. Yeah, yeah. But I tell you, listeners, I have not been able to find many good sources on it. So if you could perhaps leave us an email if you know any good, especially video and audio sources on the uh, Montauk a, Project and the Philadelphia Experiment. Let us know. Well, have you seen that disinformation episode about the Montauk Project? I, You know, it's been a long time since I watched yeah. the series. but Yeah, rewatched that, that. Okay, anyway... And then we got Peter J. Carroll, chaos magic author, and now he's uh, more into the sort of physical philosophy, physics. And yeah, we're talking to Mr. Carroll. Mr. Carroll's coming up. And so a lot of good stuff. So stay tuned in upcoming weeks. It won't just be us kind of batting it back and forth in the booth. But we do have fun, and we love doing it. Oh, so. yeah. I like doing these kinds of shows, Rand, where we just kind of talk in here and not have a guest because we get to talk about whatever we want. That's you know? exactly right. And, and we get to spend fun. more time It's on always stuff. fun. And if you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 1-800-960-2289 from, toll-free from anywhere in the yes, United States. Our, our ace producer, Stephen, is out in the booth Woo-hoo. and uh, Hi, he's Steven. patiently awaiting. So That's right. 
Yeah, and uh, feel free. What's so, the Athens number? Seven zero six five four two eight four seven six. Yeah, dude, let's let's get on. Let's with talk it. about stuff, man. Let's let's, let's talk it. about some uh, Smith code. Let's start yeah. off oh, with yeah, that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Smith code. You guys may have heard of this. Is, is I'm sure you are all aware. There's been this big court case surrounding the Da Vinci Code. You know, the creme de la creme esoteric novel of the past few years that's caused all the hoopla. Anyway, as we all know, Richard Lee and Michael Bayett have sued Dan Brown, or did sue Dan Brown, claiming that he ripped off themes from their book Holy Blood, Holy Grail in the making of his book The Da Vinci Code, which is, of course, has it been released this week as a film, or it's about to be released? I think it's about to be. About to be released as a film? Instantly, Vatican has pushed for a boycott of the film. The Vatican has pushed for a boycott of the film. That's what I saw, yeah, right there. So, well, you know, I heard Focus on the Family. It said that uh, if you uh, have a tarot deck in your house, mm-hmm. then you're more susceptible to demonic possession. So I, I, we're, I we're talking into, about a bunch of banned subjects. Apparently. I ran into people downtown who said that if you believe a word out of the Da Vinci Code, you're going straight to hell and burning in a lake of fire eternally. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. See, that's how you stamp out the heresy right there. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> so anyway, back to this lawsuit over the Da Vinci Code. Bayton Lee sued, I guess, Random House. is Bayton Lee versus Random House. And, of course, we all know the judgment came down a couple of weeks ago. You know, it ruled in favor of Dan Brown. Except the judge was very pointed in his uh, in his decision. Like he couldn't rule legally in favor of Bayton Lee, but he said some pretty inflammatory things about Dan Brown and the way he wrote his book and his ruling. Well, the ruling is what we're going to talk a little bit about for the next five or ten minutes because what's interesting about it is not only the fact that he comes down on Dan Brown pretty bad, but also that he hid a code, a secret code of his own in the ruling. The judge hid a code in it. So I guess there's no law against having a little fun in your court ruling, Mm -hmm. especially if you're a judge. I mean, it probably gets pretty tedious having to write hundreds of pages on these cases. And this is probably this judge's most high-profile case, I imagine. Oh, certainly. I mean, if it's making headlines on CNN and things like right, that. You know, right. it's, it's big news. So let's talk about some of the things he said about uh, the Da Vinci Code. I mean, most people just sort of dropped the, the whole issue when they heard that Dan Brown won and were like, you know, if they're Dan Brown fans, they're kind of like, oh, well, you know, uh, this sort of... We feel vindicated. We feel vindicated. Yeah. These guys were wrong to do this. But listen to some of the things the judge said, you know. It is self-evident that Mr. Brown looked at Holy Blood, Holy Grail before Da Vinci Code was finished. He accepts that. It is equally self-evident that Blythe Brown looked at Holy Blood, Holy Grail extensively. All the books used in, of all the books used, it is the most heavily annotated. He goes on to say things like that, but, you know, even worse, like, uh, he goes on to say, you know, that it's obvious that Dan Brown had the, and his assistant had the the Holy Blood, Holy Grail in their hands when they're writing, like, key portions of the manuscript and all that (laughs) stuff. So you could tell that. On what grounds did Dan Brown win then? I don't. I don't remember. I didn't read the. I don't ruling, think. I, I think the way it went down was is that, I mean, it's really hard to sue somebody over themes. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? And I, I just don't think that they had a legal basis for it, even though it was kind of. It was obvious, apparently, to the judge. Well, you know, the judge sort of agrees, or I sort of agree with the judge on this. You know, I read Holy Blood, Holy Grail years and years ago, and. You know, when Da Vinci Code came out, I was like, okay, this is just a ripoff on this bestseller yeah, from the 80s that's actually good, you know. Right. But I didn't, I don't know, I didn't find the Dan Brown book of the same quality. But, you know, enough of my editorializing about it. What's crazy is that the judge 
you know, hid this code in in the message or in the uh, ruling about it. And the code says it's all in. It's like yeah, well, it's all mixed up and in italic letters, yeah, would, like the cipher document that Saunier found that that said, you know, this treasure belongs to Dagobert the Second in right. design. Well, this one says, Jackie Fisher, who are you? Dreadnought. Yeah. So it's a code. What does it mean? Do you know, Joe, what it means? Well, it says on the sheet that you're holding about. God, like, you're supposed to like play along. <laughs> but Jeez. but the thing was, it it didn't say that in the italics. It was actually gibberish. Yeah. That yeah. was encoded with like a Fibonacci sequence. It said the first few letters said Smith code. Then it was just gibberish after that. Mm-hmm. And it took lawyers and like you know people who were interested in this thing like three weeks for them to finally decipher what it was. And some some guy finally got it. And that's what it says. And apparently. Well, the judge. Jackie Fisher, who are you? Dreadnought. Yeah. What does it mean? Well, it turns out Jackie Fisher worked in the uh, British Royal Navy back in the day and helped design the uh, first World War One-style giant battleship, mm-hmm. the HMS Dreadnought. Right. So uh, giant ships that never really got much use and took up whole, like, per, like those ships would take up percentages of the country's GNP <laughs> when they would build them. I am not kidding you, dude. So, he, apparently the, the judge is an old naval warfare fan or something. But mm. anyway, I was hoping for something more out of the code. But, uh, we, you know, we'll see. We'll see. So let's... Uh, Let's move on, Joe. You had some stuff that you wanted oh, to talk yeah, about. Oh, yeah, some out there science news. Last, last week we talked about the uh, zombie roaches. A friend of mine gave me this article, which I thought was kind of interesting, too. And it's actually sort of related in that these are the kinds of things funded by Department of Defense. Right. Um, apparently there's uh, some, some researchers in Florida who have come up with a way to pass sensory data through the tongue. What do you mean pass sensory data through the tongue? Well, they have a little thing that fits on your tongue. It has like 160, 160 <laughs> like little stimulus things. Uh, like sensors, ele- yeah. Well, ele- well no, the, the thing that's attached to your tongue are like electrical stimulus things. Okay. Right? So you can get like, say, uh, sonar data, infrared data, visual data, whatever. Pass it through the tongue and a person can learn to like, for instance, see 360 degrees or, you know... Uh, dive into a dark ocean with sonar being fed into their tongue. So what Weird you're saying stuff. is, it, like, it's basically adding a sense or two. Yeah, whatever, and whatever sense you want at that. And you your know? and your tongue is like a USB port. Yeah, con- connecting a new device. Exactly. Or like they're talking about making uh, infrared tongue sensors for you know for army rangers. But so, but it's not like you're feeling it on your tongue. It's like you are perceiving whatever it is in your mind. Apparently, it feels like pop rocks on your tongue. You are feeling it on your tongue, but and your brain is somehow processing it. See, the thing is, it's not clear in this newspaper article I read. I mean, I don't think that like you see, you know, that you actually have vivid visual imagery of this data that's you know jacked in through your tongue. But, like, you can learn to interpret the stimulus on your tongue as visual data to the point where, for instance, they have blind people who can, like, see doors open in front of them or see people walk by or catch a ball. A blind person can catch a ball with this. Wow, that's that's completely amazing. And they're talking about, like, 360-degree infrared vision. So this is something that, you, that the subject has to sort of train his body to learn how to do or train his mind to learn how to do, kind of like neurofeedback. It seems like that, but, like, one of the guys they talked to said that they put on just a... 
they had a little uh, some tongue sensors that just fed in like a compass and a depth finder and he would go like swim to the bottom of a pool to find something and it would guide him well enough for him to actually you know find whatever it was in the bottom of the pool that's amazing yeah it's totally amazing it's totally amazing so this is uh giving hearing to the deaf and eyesight to the blind basically. yeah let me, let me read this the last Sounds paragraph like the who or something <laughs> so it's a, it's funded by the military and they're going to present it the official results in may to navy and marine corps divers and it could be put on rapid response so they could quickly get in the hands of military users within the next three to six months but work on the infrared tongue vision for army rangers isn't as far along uh, but they said that the potential usefulness of the night vision technology is tremendous. It will allow soldiers to work in the dark without cumbersome night vision goggles and to, quote, see out of the back of their heads, he said. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing, man. I saw a Dick Van Dyke episode about that, but that's a different story. Uh, that's that, one of my favorite I episodes. Somehow I knew you were going to go there, actually. With, with all the, wal- the, the episode with all the walnuts? Yeah, yeah, with the walnuts and Danny Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it. anyway, that, you know, that's just amazing. And it seems it's like, totally It seems amazing. like there's something... I mean, I don't know, like every week now, at least for the past two weeks, there's been some crazy technology that you're getting tr- kind of trickled out through a mainstream news media outlet. You yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, it's always like that. I don't, we don't have time to talk about monkey robot arms. but No, no. but Maybe, we, maybe next week. <laughs> but I will say this. I, I've heard that, wasn't it at Emory, Joe, that they were researching with Parkinson's patients how mm-hmm. to, like, like they have Parkinson's patients that they have like electrodes hooked up to their head and they can actually type words and letters on a screen with their mind. Yeah, I think they've, they've been working on stuff like that at the VA hospital at Emory for, well, I was there in like 92 through 98. So since, I mean, since I was there, when I was there, I remember that they were able to, uh, it was sort of the early stages of that. And they had like quadriplegics who could move cursors on a screen. And this is 10 years ago. You know, like if you can imagine, you know, 10 years ago, they're just beginning this stuff. 10 years from now, where are we going to be with it? 20 years, like within our lifetimes. Right. I mean, maybe, I mean, it's weird to think that one day you may be able to like walk in your house and turn on your lights with a thought or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but the thing is, (laughs) the oven preheating on the way home, the technology is there for that, though. All it needs is like mass implementation and, and like an affordable for consumers, all that stuff. Like the technology is there for that to happen. But so the question I'm, I'm guessing many of our listeners are asking us right now is, well, isn't that just ushering in the the 1984 like Man, George Orwell vision? Here. It's already here. Uh, isn't it? Well, see, that's the thing is like Look, we, we're thinking of good things here, but there's a whole other side. Yeah, of, of course. Point, I mean, as know? as for any as as with any technology, I right? Think. You know, I, I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. If if you don't think that we're living in a science fiction novel, look again and look hard. Yeah, I was about you to know? say. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't take much scratching of the surface to find a wealth of data. Yeah. So anyway, we've got about oh five or six minutes before the break. Why don't we just do our break now and come back? We can talk about tarot. Yeah, yeah, we'll just spend the, the whole last half talking about Tara. Steven, you ready to kick us over to a song and to the break? Awesome. All right, well, we got a couple of songs, just real short songs coming up for you guys, and we'll be back in about five minutes here on Out There Radio. My name is Raymond Wiley. And I'm Joe McFall. Thanks for listening. Stick around. You're listening to Out There with Raymond and Joe. We'll be right back.
you are back to listening to Out There. My name is Joe McFall. And I'm Raymond Wiley. So Go say hi to Greg, who called over the break. He's in Athens. Thanks for listening, Greg. Tell your friends. Yeah, appreciate it, dude. Yeah. Anyway, um, interesting stuff so far today. And, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, you were just listening to, I was, was at the Super Furry Animals, and then before that was Dead Kennedys. the Immortal Dead Kennedy. Yeah, classic. Ste- stealing people's mail <laughs> on a Friday night. <laughs> That's right. What is, I love that song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there, I don't think, there's very few Dead Kennedy songs I don't like. So, so anyway. the other song, it was called Northern Lights. Mm. Why did I play a song called Northern Lights today on know. the show? Because of the whole like legalization thing that happened in Mexico this week. Oh, did you hear yeah. about that? So a few days ago, the Mexican parliament, or I guess they have a parliamentary system, yes. um, decided to, I guess it was early in the morning on the very last day of their session, decided to decriminalize all drugs. <laughs> up to a point, like, not well, like yeah, a giant yeah. amount. They decriminalize yeah. them, which, I mean, apparently it's like legal to own just about any drug under specific given quantities of whatever you want. Wow. Still illegal to sell them, apparently. I bet the uh, federales up here were hopping mad oh, man, when they I found bet, out I about bet. that. They, so. they, U.S. loves its drug war. Man, I would, have, lo- I would have loved to see the, uh, the look on some, some of the people's faces when they heard about that. <laughs> right. that they surprise. what? They did what? They did what? <laughs> <laughs> well, go Mexico is all I have to say. So, I've, oh, I've, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Today. Right, right. So anyway, let's get on to tarot. I mean, yeah, that's, this our, is our, that's our main topic yeah, for tonight, right? Absolutely. So, Tarot. What do we got to say about tarot? Oh, we got man, we got so much to talk about. So first, let's talk about like where you know where we've seen tarot cards and sort of how they like what um, your normal everyday run of the mill person thinks about tarot cards when they see them. Yeah. So you sort of get this idea of. Uh, the fortune teller, you mm-hmm. know, the person uh, telling fortunes. Maybe you've been to one of those psychic fairs at the local occult bookstore. Right. Or, you know, maybe you've been listening to Focus on the Family talk about <laughs> how you're going to have a demon inside you if you have a tarot deck in your house or whatever. A lot of people write off tarot, too. It's like, oh, Madam... What's Madam Cleo. Madam Cleo. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, you heard about what happened to Madam Cleo, right? She, uh, she like, wasn't paying her readers that mm. she was... Uh, <laughs> that were, like, you know... Running her phone lines or whatever, so I I don't know I don't know if she's in jail, but I yeah. like her whole operation is done now. I think a lot of people don't realize that tarot has a a, a long and interesting history. Maybe maybe not as long as you'd think necessarily, yes. but long enough and interesting enough. Right. I mean, you know, you pick up your your mo- your your average book from you know New Age bookstore, Eden Gray, something like that. You know, pictorial key to the tarot or whatever, and it's going to talk about tarot stretching back through the ages right. to ancient Egypt and you know ancient uh, Israel and all this stuff, and it being this repository of ancient knowledge. Well, we're going to talk a lot about that sort of thing today, and we're mm. going to talk. A little bit about what we do know about the origins and history of the tarot deck, and then sort of how this, what's basically a card game, mm-hmm. has turned into this whole branch of uh, occultism or of the Western esoteric tradition, and has come to take on meanings that it probably didn't originally, that weren't originally intended when the original decks of cards were made way back when. Now let's talk about, let's start off talking about that. I think the story sort of begins in 15th century in the 1400s. Uh, it's known that cards were available or that playing cards came into Europe sometime in the period between 1375 and 1380. 
and probably m many styles of card games came from uh, Islamic Spain and other parts of the Muslim world. Now, what's interesting is that the original tarot decks you see and hear about aren't talked about with any sort of mystique surrounding them. In fact, there are many towns uh, that you'll let you can like read their like statutes in the very first hundred, hundred and fifty years of this this tarot being around, and you'll find that these towns talk about people being allowed to play the game of triumphs so that that you play with a tarot deck, and it not being like looked down on as a form of gambling. Is that where the word trumps come from? Yeah, yeah, okay. a trump is. Is uh, is part of a tarot deck. Now, you know, I you know, I I completely blew right past that. Let me tell you how a tarot deck is set up. In case you don't know, you've probably seen some of these tarot cards: death, the world, uh, the star, whatever. Also, you know, the nine of cups, you know, the ten of swords, the you know, king of pentacles, whatever. You've seen these different kinds of cards, but you might not know how a tarot deck is set up. There are 78 cards in a tarot deck. They're divided into two distinct sections, what's called the major arcana and the minor arcana. Now, of course, these specifications have been given to the tarot deck by uh, basically occultists who have, you know, made their own systems around the tarot. So they call it major and minor arcana because it's the minor secret and the major secret. Whether there's really a secret behind the tarot, we'll, we'll discuss a little bit more today. But for the meantime, just remember that there are 22 trumps, and those are the cards that are, that are titled with things like death, uh, judgment, the world, the tower, things like that. The minor arcana are the ones that are suited and have some sort of number or court representation connected to them. So, a lot of people think, uh, like a lot of the original decks didn't have the trumps in, uh, as part of the deck, especially going back into the 14 and 1500s. A lot of people have even thought that those trumps were in fact a fifth suit that was added in way afterwards in, when the game took on its final form. And this was probably about the 1500s or the 1400s. The, the first tarot decks are found in northern Italy, which were the most powerful trade and commerce cities of Europe at the time. So, Joe, I mean, you, you sort of get in the basics yeah. of here of how this started. It starts out as a game. It's and a that's, game. And that's what we've got but to realize. You know what's interesting, Raymond? This, and what's interesting to me is that this happens to a lot of games, that uh, something that is meant to, to just basically count uh, chance, to keep track of chance, like, you know, dice, for instance, right. often become co-opted to some... To, you know, to predict something or to divine something or as some other sort of, you know, device. Like some, casting like lots. Exactly. Yeah. So this happens to a lot of things that start off as games and tarot is no different. Right. And that's in that regard. But it seems, and, and I guess it's just sort of a natural evolution that yeah. we're going to be talking about more than anything. Well, what's interesting to me, that though, let me just say one more thing about that. It's this relationship between chance and divination or prediction that is common to all of these systems and, and to all games of this variety. Yeah, exactly. And to most games in general. Like I think that you know there's always elements of chance in well in most games, but like it's this it's sort of this this bringing chance into something that that allows you to do something that's not, you know, predict something that's non that's non-random or random or I don't know, it's just a very interesting relationship. Absolutely. That's, that, that is contained like in the cards themselves. Right, and the know? fact that some cards have a more significance than others, yeah. major arcana, right. you know, the trumps, right. sort of 
changes the odds in a way. It makes yeah. some cards have a greater weight sure. than others. Sort of stacks the deck a little bit. Yes, it does. But um, sh- God. thank you, thank you. Oh, Joe, <laughs> you're never gonna. <laughs> I'm live, on you're tonight. You're never gonna live man. through this night, I am my friend. On tonight. So anyway, <laughs> going back to those earliest tarot decks in northern Italy in the 14th and 15th century, they're mostly hand painted and are used for gaming between nobles and very rich merchants. And it's not till years and years later that an esoteric meaning is derived from the cards. Now, right. between then, uh, tarot takes off, basically, in Europe and uh, ends up in, well, I mean, the word tarocci is mm-hmm. where th- the word tarot actually comes from. And it's an Italian word. And then the French version is tarot. Now, a lot of people, if you read a lot of esoteric books, and they'll be like, oh, tarot is just a form of the word rota for wheel because it's got the wheel of fortune in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. you can see how if you switch the letters around the word rota or that it's just a play off on the word Torah. Oh, okay. interesting. Yeah, or yeah, some, yeah. Uh, some people believe that it's Egyptian in origin, the word tarash, uh, meaning royal road. And a lot of people have said that the, the path of the 22 trumps is sort of like a... Metaphor for ascendance, mm-hmm. spiritual ascendance, and sort of a paths of the dead kind of way. Yeah. But really, it's just the French version of the word tarochi, uh, which comes from the game of triumphs, which is what the game is. So, mm-hmm. when does it become? When does it get this esoteric significance? It's it's used as a game for for hundreds of years, and then in the late 1700s, few key occultists in France come along and connect the tarot uh, to different sort of systems. Now, what we have to realize about uh, the people in France in, say, the 1700s, or especially the 1700s and the late Enlightenment, is that they are obsessed with Orientalism and... Like exoticism. uh, Exoticism, exactly. So anything that is foreign, especially Egyptian, Chinese really foreign cultures to Europe suddenly gets greater and greater significance and the wisdom of previous ages is suddenly sought for by all these sort of like bourgeois Europeans and so you can imagine kind of what comes down the line it's not I mean they haven't even translated hieroglyphics yet so uh, this guy comes along what's his God, I always have a hard time pronouncing Uh, Antoine Court de Gebelin 1781 uh, comes up with the idea that tarot cards uh, are, in fact, the ancient wisdom of of Egypt handed down in a pictorial form. And he's the first person to put an esoteric and occult meaning on the tarot cards. He also says that they can be used for divination, and that's sort of where that starts off. He's the main French, uh, French figure and he's the guy that really brings tarot into the Western esoteric tradition. You know, interestingly enough, Raymond, like I think a lot of people still see tarot as some sort of exotic thing, and that's part of the attraction for a lot of people, and that's why you can have charlatans like Madame Chloe. Madame Cleo. Cleo. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, or, it's, you know it's funny that the, the, the occult influence really comes in very late. I mean, it's yeah. only been around for 200 years, which is less than half of the life of tarot cards if we think about how long they've been around. But you know what the interesting thing about tarot is that it like, you know, whether or not the significance of, uh, you know, a tarot reading is, you know, occult or psychological in origin and in nature, then it doesn't really matter because, you know, that's something that's being placed on it by the, you know, the people involved in 
this reading, like the person reading the cards and the person getting their cards read. Absolutely, and it seems you know? to be like all in the interpretation. Exactly. Now, one thing we must mention, though, is mm -hmm. that though people have added their own interpretations on these cards over the years many times, like uh, uh, Gebelin, it must be noted that their original images, I mean, the original images you see on the oldest packs basically come from, uh, what are those called? Those, those Like in medieval times, they would have plays that would come to the town, and they would sort of be processional plays where they would have mm. different stations, you know, like Stations of the Cross or whatever. Right. Every Man is an example of this sort of moralistic play with stations. Mm -hmm. Well, imagine the tarot images as these stations. It's, it's interesting that if you go way back, before you ever hear of any sort of esoteric or div divinatory meaning for the tarot trumps, you, you, you read uh, accounts of vicars and priests telling their flocks to look through the images in the trumps as sort of a moral guide. Yeah. So the image, I mean, it can be argued otherwise, but I think the, the most clear evidence is that these images have Christian, medieval, and Renaissance origins. Can we talk about some of like some of the images and sort of maybe there's what they symbolize or like? Right. Yeah. If you want to see sort of what a modern tarot pack looks like, you can just you know do a Wikipedia search of tarot, and there'll be uh, um, an image there of all the trumps in the what's called the Rider White pack, and we'll get to the Rider White pack here in just a moment. Let's let's move on to somebody else who the second big Frenchman who takes tarot and overlays their own occult system on top of it, and that's uh, Eliphas Lévy. He's perhaps the most famous French occultist of the 19th century, and he writes in the 1840s and 1850s his books Dogma and Ritual of High Magic and The History of Magic are looked on as cornerstones by many of the people who brought about the. Victorian occult renaissance we talked about in the Golden Dawn show. Right. So okay. the Golden Dawn and Blavatsky. And right, Theosophy right. He's, he's, he's right in there. Okay. Right. Well, his, well, Levy's whole thing, and he's very important. I can't stress this enough. Write his name down. Eliphas Levy. L-E-I-P-H-A-S Levy. L-E-V-I. He is interested in Hebrew mysticism, especially sort of a Christian hermetic form of Kabbalah. Okay. And hey, doesn't Madonna do that? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's quite the same, though, as what these guys are, were doing. They, they were kind of getting Kabbalah kind of filtered through the hermetic and Western esoteric They were kind of, of reinventing Kabbalah in their system. They were Christianizing it and Westernizing it. it was, or it had already been done in yeah. centuries before. Yeah, yeah. Point is, is, is Levy is, is acutely interested in these tarot cards, and he's acutely interested in Hebrew mysticism. So what does he do? He marries the two concepts. He says, ah, there are 22 trumps in the tarot deck, and there are 22 paths between the Sephiroth and the Tree of Life. What's the Tree of Life, you may ask? Well, if you're familiar with Kabbalah, it's the main sort of symbol of the Kabbalistic uh, thought system or worldview in which sort of the body of God, or the body of the universe is sort of mapped out through these ten angels or Sephiroth. Angels is sort of a loose term I'm going to use here. Anyway, there are 22 sort of paths between the Sephiroth, the way they are set up. And Levi thinks, ah, well, they obviously have some sort of Hebrew origin, these tarot cards. So he plays that out to the hilt and writes about it in his books. It is the work of his life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we all know what happens with Levi. He gets, uh, his stuff gets picked up by the Golden Dawn, and you can go back and listen to our podcast about the Golden Dawn with Austin uh, Gandhi. 
who was our guest. He's really good and, and knows his Golden Dawn stuff. We should have him back sometime. Yeah, to I, talk hope, about stuff. I hope he can, maybe he can come back and talk to us one day. Yeah, yeah. But, so they take Levy's ideas about tarot, the Golden Dawn, and turn it into this whole magical system and make their own tarot deck. So by the time they get a hold of it, it's firmly entrenched as part of the occult tradition when, I mean, seriously, 150 years before that, it was unheard of. Right. And it's all because of these few French authors in the late 17 and early 1800s who take it and sort of overlay their own systems. All you, have to, all you have to do is take some game of chance and like sort of esotericize it. Exactly. Know, to coin a new, That's a good new word. word. Like, you know, esotericize <laughs> it. And then you've got something that, uh, you know, ostensibly has some sort of deep symbolic interpretation. It has divina- divinatory powers. It's like a tool for this kind of thing. Right. And then you've, that's really what tarot is. Absolutely. And, you know, we don't really need to sit here and talk about the Golden Dawn so much. We have, there's an hour on that that you can get. Yeah, yeah. However, it's interesting to note that the three biggest tarot sort of decks movements, whatever, of the 20th century all come out of members of the Golden Dawn. Paul Foster Case's deck is very famous, but more more so than that is the Ryder-White deck. We talked about Arthur Edward White in the last in the Golden Dawn episode. Well, he helps create this deck of cards based on sort of the esoteric principles of tarot that the Golden Dawn espoused. And that's the deck that you see. I mean, you look at those Madame Cleo commercials, that's the Ryder-White deck. That's mm-hmm. the deck that's in the pictures up on uh, Wikipedia if right. you check that right. out. And it's, it's the deck I've used for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's interesting about his deck is that for the Minor Arcana, before Waits' deck came out, the Minor Arcana, the suited cards, just had just looked like regular playing cards. They had a number of different, like, you know, the five of clubs had five clubs on it. Well, in the white deck, instead of there being five clubs or whatever, there's an image that has five clubs featured in it. And it's sort of um, made to illustrate its divinatory meaning. You see what I'm saying? I mean, he's even changed the images of uh, the okay. cards to match his own sort of a view of what they mean. Right. Or what okay. they should mean. Or what they should yeah. mean, yeah. exactly. He even, like Austin said in that previous episode, switched up some of the places where the, the trumps were in the line or in the order mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to kind of throw people off who weren't esoteric enough or whatever. <laughs> I'm so much more esoteric than you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to create my own Splinter Golden Dawn group <laughs> and kick your Splinter Golden Dawn group's ass. So, uh, yeah. anyway... So, so the third deck yeah, that comes out yeah. of this is the uh, Crowley deck, the Thoth deck. Mm-hmm. So he takes uh, Gebelin's, uh, he takes Gebelin's idea completely to heart and says, "Oh yeah, it's it's the ancient wisdom of of, of Egypt," which you know fits if you think about the whole Hermetic it kind of being filtered into this Hermetic tradition because the seminal text of the Hermetic kind of Western esoteric. Uh, philosophy, if you will, is this is the Hermetic text of Asclepius, which is a lament about the end of the old Egyptian religion. Well, mm. you know, you, people like, you know, you got people like Giordano Bruno and Gebelin trying to bring back this, and Cagliostro trying to bring back this Egyptian sort of thing, and here's Crowley doing it in the 20th century right. uh, with his tarot deck. which Reinvent, Reinventing it for modernity. Reinventing the rota, <laughs> as <laughs> yeah, it were. Yeah. So well, Raymond, why you know there's this whole there's an occult way to think about tarot because you know one of the things that I've always thought about tarot is you know in my experience it seems to be somewhat meaningful 
And there's certain ways to interpret that. Like one way is to think about it in terms of, you know, there is some sort of like, un, you know, under the surface, some divinatory power that it has like occult significance. But another way to think about it is just that like, you know, the, the symbols used in the in tarot are like archetypes and that really any given tarot reading is going to be some sort of like reflection of my psychology at the, at the time that I'm having my cards read. And these seem to be like sort of two main ways of thought about about tarot. what and what and a how, reading is and what, what happens exactly during your and and how if it works and how it, how it works right. you know? because a lot of people say oh that's just you know blarney like it's you know it doesn't work blah 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 but well, you like, know i kind of i kind of vacillate on that like personally now what you're talking about sort of the jungian view yeah, of yeah, tarot like, and let's talk about that for a minute because that's the other thing that we've that's the two things that we've kind of missed is like tarot is makes it splash in the early 20th century. That's when it really comes on the scene and people start, you know, assigning this big occult significance to it. Well, right. you know, we've talked about the Golden Dawn people who build it up. Well, who's tearing it down? People like T.S. Eliot, you know, in his poem The Wasteland saying it's a wicked pack of cards, talking about how bad Madame Blavatsky is and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole backlash against it, just like we were talking about with the demons thing in the 700 Club right, or whatever. Right, right. But then there's Young who takes a completely different sort of non-religious interpretation of it. He's not for or against it in that way at all. He's saying the images in the tarot cards represent universal archetypes of human states of mind and the human life cycle. Right. The journey right. of the fool, in a way, is the journey of every man through life. And each trump represents like a different station and a different experience yeah. or whatever. And that's, you know, that's a very interesting way to take tarot, I think. And it's not ex mutually exclusive with the more occulty type of way. You know what I mean? Right. But, like, I think what a lot of people don't understand about tarot is that there are these sort of multiple ways to experience it. And it's not, doesn't have to be, like, some, like, new agey kind of, you know, just. No, absolutely not. It's, know, it's, it, 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 it can be a way of looking at the future, I guess. It can also be a way of looking into yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, I'll be honest. I've probably given a hundred tarot readings mm -hmm. over the years. Right. You know, I I've never had something happen where I like predicted the future. Right. And it like suddenly happened. Like, oh, a plane is going to crash tomorrow. So says the tower right. and the right. whatever card. You right. know, it's always been more like you get to the end of the reading and whoever you're reading is like. Uh, they've gotten something out of it. They're like, yeah. that made total sense. It's when it when it makes no sense to you, you're just like spouting off, you know, yeah. meanings that you've gleaned right. from it over the years. It's either meaningful know? or not. You right. Know? And I always, I think that like human beings, you know, one of, this is maybe something that has to do with like our brains, evolutionarily speaking, but I think we are wired to uh, try to find meaning in the external world. I mean, that's maybe, uh, you know, uh, you know, something that I was like, oh yeah, that you know, of course we. Well, are. I but think that's like, kind of the definition of what we're doing here on this show in a lot of ways. Well, you know? yeah, or, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, also yeah. the definition of paranoia. Well, in no, but in too. some way, like, but one, of, but I mean, I think that like, you know, since we are in many ways wired to seek meaning, then we have these sort of outlets that we can use to sort of uh, draw meaning down from either from our own, you know, 
awareness or from some sort of alternate uh, plane of existence that you know spirit sending it to us. Right. In but that case, it's a tool. Yeah, it's a way to sort of focus and filter meaning from wherever it comes from into something that is right in front of you on the table. Absolutely, you know? and it's a sort of a it's a way of reminding yourself of maybe aspects of your life that you're not even thinking about. And I found yeah. that that's happened yeah, a lot yeah. of times in readings yeah. that I've given too. Definitely. So we had uh, Stevens holding up a sign. So we had a caller that was saying it's not a game; it's a way of life. And, well, I'm a, we're actually about to get to that point. And uh, we'd be inclined to agree with you, caller, that it can certainly be a way of life. From all of the years that I've messed with tarot cards, studied and played with tarot cards, told people about them, given readings, whatever, the thing that I've realized after all of that and after my reading of, of a few other documents, especially the works of Francis Yates, who's the foundation of solid occult study, if you ask me, what I like to look at tarot as is as a memory system. Mm -hmm. Tarot, uh, and what am I saying when I'm talking about a memory system? Well, back in ancient times, ancient Greeks and Romans had these memory systems that they would teach themselves, and they would be able to remember vast, vast, vast amounts of data. For example, a Roman general could remember the name of every soldier under his command using these memory games or this, these memory techniques, the, what was called the art of memory. Well, there are a few ancient like classical texts about how it works, and it basically works by taking a very strange image with very definite features and memorizing it and memorizing images in a certain order and then overlaying information on top of the images to help you remember the order of things. In this way, they said you could remember an entire speech word for word mm -hmm. or details about all sorts of different things. This is at a time when people weren't very literate. Exactly. Yeah. So what, what, what I think has happened over the years is people have sort of taken tarot, which has these sort of same kind of images that are bizarre and are reminiscent. I mean, in the, in the ancient texts that talk about the art of memory, it always mentions that the, the images you create in your mind should be memorable. They mm -hmm. should be either something absurd or something you know, very strange or something very powerful, never something immemorable. And if you think about the images on all of the tarot yeah. trumps, you know, a magician, a woman standing holding a lion's mouth open. The hanged man who's hang hanging by, he's hanging like by one of his legs one of upside his down and like, yeah, and the other foot is sort of crossed over, oops, crossed <laughs> over the other one. Smacking the mic. And that one, all, that one always sticks in my mind. The What's that one all about? The falling tower. What is that, what is like, what are these, what does that mean? Like, you know, in well, terms of I mean, what kind of significance? You, well, it depends on what significance you want to give to it. If you're Eliphas Levi or mm -hmm. Levi, you know, you, you see the tree of life in it. If you're Gebelin, you see uh, the Egyptian system in it. If you're... What if you're Joe McFall, though? That's what I want to know. Well, <laughs> what I, what I, the point I'm getting to, I think, is that no matter who you are, you can use the images of the tarot mm -hmm. to basically create your own memory system and if it's the way it, and, and if those are the images that you want to remember to lay out your cosmology mm -hmm. in your mind or the way that the spiritual realm is set up for example or life lessons yeah. or Basically. whatever or any or, or the occult principles that you hold dearest to right. or whatever 
you can find the, the you can either find it hidden in the tarot cards, or you can find a tarot deck that already has that interpretation, or you can create your own tarot deck. Basically, whatever you bring to the table is what you're right. going to take away from the table. Exactly, and that's what I'm. That's what I want to get down to. And I hope this. And I hope this doesn't alarm some diehard tarot fans out there. But the truth is, is well, I, uh, I got to back off from that statement. I'm never going to. Were you going to say? I was going to say the truth is something. It's a game. I'm not. No, I'm not. Okay. Gonna, I wasn't going to say that. But I'm not going to say the truth is anything. That's that's stepping yeah, too far. Yeah. Good call. Good call. But <laughs> as far as as far as I am concerned, and in my own opinion, the original meaning was as a game, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with the things that people have laid over the top of it since. In fact, I found tarot a great way to remember a lot of esoteric and occult principles as part of a tradition that I enjoy studying. Yeah. But uh, it's what, like you said, Joe, it's what you bring to the table, and that's sort of the way I feel about it. And if you want to get something out of a tarot reading, you're probably going to get something out of a tarot reading. And if you think it's all crap, it's going to be... Now, I am not saying that there aren't people out there that have some sort of genuine divinatory gift, can actually see the future, and may even be able to use tarot cards to focus that power, whatever. Yeah. That's fine. Those people may be out there, but I would say that those people aren't going to be charging you a dollar a minute. Right. To uh, get get your reading or I would, whatever. I would even say that oftentimes, um, you know, some people just might have a knack and a certain degree of empathy for other people. Sure. And, you know what I mean? It's not necessarily necessarily charlatanism. Right, but it, I mean, sometimes but it certainly it can be. Yeah, and, and most of the people that, I don't know, most of the people that are going to charge you mm-hmm. are going to kind of be crackpots. And if they're not, they're usually going to say it right up, right up front. You know, I do not pretend to know what the future is. Right. I can only interpret right. the meanings of these cards based on my experience. Right. Which I can certainly respect. Otherwise, I don't think I'd ever read tarot cards. Anyway, I think... Are we? How are we doing on time, man? We have about a minute left. Dude. Oh, my goodness. Man, I've said a mouthful tonight, Joe. I hope I haven't jumped on no, your... No, 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 man. This has been quite an interesting show so far. What? Well, is there anything else that we want to talk about? I mean... I think we've hit all the major stuff. Now, if you want to go out and... Okay, how about if you want to go out and study tarot yourself? There are any number of good books out on tarot... But what I would suggest, and if you want to go buy a pack of tarot cards, what I would suggest is is look at the meanings that the author who created the artwork ascribes to the deck. Mm-hmm. Because if it kind of fits your paradigm, then good. If not, you might want to try a different deck. There are hundreds and hundreds of decks out there. Oh, the point, the like point I'm trying, yeah, the point I'm trying to get to is is you want to be able to use the imagery as best you can. You want to be able to assign significance to every little item within the tarot image, mm-hmm. especially on the trumps. So find something that sort of fits your paradigm that you can interpret sort of as best as you can. Of course, that may mean creating your own tarot deck. Might, yeah, might as well. Which I certainly wouldn't be against. Yeah. And in fact, uh, I mean, we ought to create an or, out there tarot or, deck. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you know what else is weird about this? I thought about this tonight, Joe. Yeah. This is our 22nd show. Here, here. 22 Trumps in the Tarot, 22 episodes of Out There. All right. I think that's about it for us. I think, yeah. Okay, man. Well, uh, <laughs> if you want to send us an email, uh, some feedback about Tarot, outthereradio at gmail.com. Check out our website, www.wuog.org slash outthere. And remember that's sort of case sensitive, so uppercase O, uppercase T, and out there. It's one Absolutely. word. Absolutely. Uh, what else? We've got, we're usually online on the AOL Instant Messenger screen name, Out There Radio. Yeah, we sorry we weren't able to chat as much tonight, but we'll be in the chat room in Omnisound and out on uh, AIM in just a minute. So if you want to kind of 
talk to us about some after show stuff. It's yeah. fine. Yep. And uh, yeah, thanks to everybody up at Omnisound and anybody listening on any uh, people that are picking up their station feed, especially Dude. Robin Valley. Uh, big up to Gothenburg, Sweden. Sweden. Yeah. Where apparently we have more listeners than in Athens. Yeah, I we, don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. Greg called earlier. We have at least one Athens listener. That's right. At least one Athenian. <laughs> right. So anyway, thank you guys for all calling in tonight and for all your kind feedback. And thanks for listening to Out There This Week. My name is Raymond Wiley. My name is Joe McFall. And we will see you next time. You have been listening to Out There, a presentation of WUOG 90.5 FM in Athens, Georgia. For more information or to subscribe to our podcast, visit www.wuog.org slash podcasts or email us at outthereradio at gmail.com.